Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast. Today, we were joined by Fig, a co-founder of Squid. Squid is a cross-chain swapping protocol that aims to connect multiple different networks via a one-click solution. I really enjoyed chatting with Fig in this conversation because we were able to really dig into the value add that building with decentralized solutions offers, as well as digging into the pain points that Squid is solving for their ultimate customers, which are basically everyone who wants to use crypto. It was also fun to dig into concepts like cross-chain NFT purchases, using crypto loans to ensure that cross-chain swaps can be done in a much quicker manner, and just really digging into so many different interesting systems level concepts. So I really enjoyed chatting with Fig during this interview, and I know you guys will enjoy the conversation too. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast. I am super psyched to introduce our guest today. We're chatting with Fig from Squid. How are you doing, Fig? Hey, Dylan. Thanks for having me. Doing really well. I've been having a lot of fun listening to your previous podcasts and looking at your previous presentations. So I kind of want to, hopefully this is a softball, kind of start off the conversation with how does cross-chain infrastructure ultimately increase the resiliency of the blockchain space? Big question to start with. Resiliency, I guess, I think of as decentralization is the core of what makes blockchains resilient. And in a lot of ways, multi-chain can be thought of as a decentralization of the decentralization that we already have. Like each blockchain is a decentralized network of nodes. They're all communicating with each other to like keep a ledger of accounts. And that's happening on Ethereum, it's happening on Bitcoin, it's happening on Neo, it's happening on something else. And with multi-chain, what it means is that we can connect all of these separate decentralized sets of nodes. So if that one of them goes down, then you know another one can take the slack. There's different schools of thought where you know maybe we should have all of the decentralization in one place. And just if you say you have like 10,000 possible nodes in the world, if you have one blockchain, then that's maximally decentralized. You've got 10,000 different nodes on that one chain. If you've got a hundred chains, suddenly you have a hundred chains of hundred nodes and each one is much weaker ostensibly. And then multi-chain is bad for robustness of crypto generally. But I tend to take a different view where we already have some very robust blockchains, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, they could still improve, of course. But with economic stake and proof of stake, robustness isn't just from number of nodes. So we can, you know, multi-chain is allows us to scale, bring better user experience and make blockchains more secure as well. Yeah, I love that answer. I'm a huge proponent of the multi-chain thesis myself. I've been, we were just talking beforehand, I've been working in an alt one ecosystem since 2018. So I've kind of been along this line of thought for a long time. And this is why I was so excited to chat with you because what Squid is building is Really what I think is sort of the next step is how do we connect these different chains in a seamless, like super sleek UI and provide a great user experience. So that was kind of fun to kick off the conversation with that high level philosophical question. Now I want to come kind of like zoom in to you because you also have a really cool story. You were studying medicine and now you are not. You're working in the blockchain space. 
the only other person who has a similar trajectory as you actually went through his whole medical studies and did a year in residency and then unplugged and realized that wasn't for him. So kudos to you for kind of pulling the ripcord sooner than later. So I just kind of want to hear from you, like, what's your background? How did you get interested in medicine? And then what kind of took off the rose-colored glasses? And then how did you stumble into tech? Yeah, sure. Medicine was, it seemed like a perfect job coming out of high school because you get to deal with really complex systems. You're helping people. You're working with people every day. Theoretically, it has a lot of breadth in it. You can be someone who never talks to anyone, but just cuts people up as a surgeon, or you can, you know, be a psychologist, literally just talk to people and like understand their minds, not even like look at a sick person in terms of the, you know, coughing, coughing and spluttering. But, and I really enjoyed studying it. Like learning about the body was, you get to learn about these systems, which, you know, the body's never fixed per se. You can be healthy, but really there's no good sense of what is perfect state. And in led down the track, I found finance was really similar to that because you have these markets where everything's settling down onto this one layer, this like single substrate, which it's just in this case, it's in numbers and information rather than in the body. And so you have sort of the, the world and lots of businesses being reflected in this thing and it can never be perfect. It's like, it's just being directed in one way or another in equilibrium. But what I didn't find best about medicine was the ability to be creative and innovative because there's so, for good reason, there's really good, like strong regulations in medicine and you only get a good opportunity to be creative quite late in your career when you're really senior and gone through 15, 20 years of study and training. And by that time, maybe you've lost the will to, to try stuff that's new. So anyway, I left that night. I went to New York and started sleeping on couches and I was a musician over there. I got to really be creative and learned to code. And I was a UX engineer and designer while I was in New York and used that to pay my way. And then got interested in finance because of all of my, all of the finance people in New York, some of my friends were doing it. So I got, got a job in TradFi. But at that time, was getting interested in crypto and saw how the inefficiencies of some of the things I was doing in my day job could be automated through these trustless systems, like public infrastructure for trustless finance. And got really excited about that. But crypto is like the perfect combination of you know the complex systems the creativity the you know freedom to go and make something and it's very merit-based as well it doesn't feel bureaucratic you know you just go and like anyone can go and make something if it's good they get you know recognized for it it's a work with smart people so that's why i'm here yeah that's awesome what were you doing as a musician were you like busking or were you playing in different bands what instrument did you play yeah, in different bands. I had one main project and then I, I was a you know session musician touring around the place. I play sax and bass, guitar, drums, piano, a bit of everything, and a lot of sampling as well. Really love using computers to like make new sounds and, and take previous sounds and reshape them, which is I think part of how I got into the open source sort of mentality that crypto has as well. You can take something that's already been made, like iterate on it in completely permissionless way in music. And there's all these, you know, I kind of resented the copyright laws and some of the, also there's a lot of feigned authenticity in music where someone might just be, you know, copying an artist from the seventies, but it's meant to be authentic music. And it was all, I don't know, I just 
really like to in crypto there's no sense of that just if you like improve on something it's better like simple kind of thing yeah it's almost like you can kind of prove your authenticity because there's this whole repository of open source code that people can dig through and it's one of the things i love about crypto too you can smell the charlatans really quickly because this is one of the first times in human history that most of the knowledge of the space is available in open source software so if you're full of it you'll get called out pretty quickly because everybody has access to the same knowledge base. Yeah, exactly. And like the, you still give credit. If something I make gets improved on this, it's the highest of compliments, to be honest. If someone can be bothered to like interact with something I've made, it's amazing. And same thing with music. If you make a song and someone goes and like covers it or samples it, that's the ultimate compliment. So I'm all about this kind of process. I really like it. Yeah, I can see why you left Madison. So what was, you kind of touched on it earlier, talking about your friends who, when you were surfing couches, kind of making your way as a developer and also hanging out with friends who are in the fin financial space, maybe fintech space. I'm kind of curious to hear what was your, the first time you heard about Bitcoin or maybe it was Ethereum because you're such a biddler. What was kind of like your first moments of learning about crypto and maybe what was your genesis moment? What was like, was there a moment when you were on a couch and you were like, I need to go into the space because of this code or something like that? Well, the very first time I touched crypto was through music, actually. This sampling, this open source thing I was talking about goes back to the torrenting world, the peer-to-peer -peer world, which was also blockchains came out of peer-to-peer -peer networks. And I used to run torrenting servers and things back in the day, I was part of a music community online. It was called What CD. Really amazing community. And part of the donation process for that public community was using Bitcoin. So like way, way back, I got some Bitcoin and unfortunately lost that wallet, but added to the cause and I'm sure someone else used that Bitcoin well. And, but the Genesis moment was really because I, my friends in New York, they're high frequency traders. They trade using bots and computers like extremely fast. It's a, a hostile environment where computers are like fighting against each other in, on the order book. And when I heard that DeFi was happening, where you, people were making orders and trading in this public infrastructure, that sounded insane to me because so much of that game that these guys play in high frequency trading is trying to understand what the other player is doing or trying to like find some secret information which isn't available to other people. Once you have that secret information, you can make a lot of money out of it. And this idea that everyone's suddenly trading in a public place and all of the everyone's strategies could be reverse engineered. A lot more information is public, like really fun, but game changing as well. And that was before, it's now been sort of termed MEV since then. And, you know, maybe I should have, instead of doing cross-chain, just built MEV bots back in before, but it's turned out, so. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the MEV intern is appreciative that he doesn't have much competition. What kind of time frame was this? Was this like 2020, 2018? It was early 2020. Cool. That's really interesting. So you kind of touched upon the thing that interested you about crypto, but you didn't really go into this HFT, MEV sort of world. You, it seems like you're not so much of a, it's not necessarily a competitor, but you're not necessarily like 1v1 type mentality, like kind of all boats rise together. And so 
being an open source aficionado, sourcing music, running the P2P music site. Also, side note, whenever I'm giving a presentation on like what crypto is and what blockchain is, my kind of first time I ever felt like I was empowered on the internet was when I downloaded an Eminem album off of Napster because my parents didn't want me to listen to his music. The empowerment I felt from a peer-to-peer network and being able to access this thing I wanted that authority figures told me I could not have access to, that was super powerful. So when you said that you were doing a torrenting site, that just like brings back like a wave of positive emotions. And it's also the thing I use when I'm telling like a quote unquote normie about what crypto is, which is basically like, it's a ledger, but for money, just like Napster kind of enabled you to seed all these different songs off of an album. So I love that. So then like, where did the idea for Squid come across? Were you working on other projects before you landed with your team now, which is quite robust, a team of nine, I believe, with eight developers, which is rad. So how did you kind of start working in the blockchain space? And was it with Squid right off the bat? I mean, I actually quit the job in traditional finance. And the first thing I did was go out and try and meet experts and the different consensus architectures or methods and it became clear that with all these different blockchains developing and also the scaling issues that we were seeing with Ethereum mainnet. So like end of 2020, we had DeFi summer. Everything suddenly was super, super expensive. It was $100 to do anything on chain. It became super apparent. We're going to need rollups. We're going to need app chains. And so I spent a lot of time meeting the people building or like designing these interoperability protocols and like trying to understand which one was the most secure. And that was really fun. The ones that stood out the the most to me, like the most impressive were the founders of Axlar Network, which is a protocol that we, that Squid is built on top of. And Axlar is a blockchain that connects blockchains. It's the team come from MIT and they're blockchain professors, but they've also built real products. I think the founders of some of the founders of Algram started it as well. So we ended up focusing on Axlar. And through that time, I was meeting some friends and we were working together and they became my co-founders. And it just happened really naturally. We started building this multi-chain app on Axlar. I was trying to solve this issue of user experience. So you start with, you have all these chains and back in early 2021, even through until Squid started, I guess, through 2021, it would be... 30 clicks potentially to get your money to, you know, from Ethereum to Avalanche. You have to go to all these new websites and you don't know if any of them are going to be a scam. And it's like, it was obviously terrible user experience and never going to get adopted. So we wanted to reduce that down to one click and yeah, I can go into it more, but that's how, how I got to cross chain. It was really through like the need for user experience and an interest in these like cross chain consensus models. I have a feeling like. You might have already answered this, but I just want to ask anyways, who's like your end user? Who are you building for? Are you building for your HFT friends and their corporate conglomerates? Or are you building for like the everyday crypto minnow? I mean, it's a good question. Who is any of us building for in the bear market? (laughs) I didn't mean to take us to a philosophical arena. We're building for end users, really. That's the goal, to make user experience for real people better to use blockchains. Because anyone should be able to you know, set up a wallet. Anyone should be able to interact with an application, no matter where it is. And then 
the nice thing about what we do is we're connecting people with applications. So we're also building for the application developers. Like a lot of success has been because an app de developer of an application on a new chain needs to get users and they don't want to just be able to get the users on their current chain. They want to be able to access the total addressable market of crypto and, you know, ideally beyond that as well. So we're developing for users primarily, but improving user experience, but then we've got developer tools, which can be, you know, easily implemented into an app. Traders actually do use us. We get a fair bit of use through like direct trading bots using software, but that's for now more of a side effect. We haven't like focused on them specifically and we're doing some things to change that, but for now that's what we're doing. You mentioned in the kind of intro question that you can have like one blockchain with a thousand or 10,000 nodes on it, or you can have hundreds of blockchains with a thousand nodes on it. So you kind of highlighted this wicked problem. And my previous career was an urban planner and a wicked problem is every time you create a solution, two new problems arise. So imagining that this is an issue you run into with building for multi-chain. So I guess like, I want to ask like a super simple question that might have a really complex answer. Why is multi-chain UX so difficult? I'm just trying to think of a metaphor. Let's think of a simple one. I mean, you travel from the UK to China and you arrive in China and everything's written in Chinese characters. You don't know how to use anything. It's the same thing in crypto. Except think of like China has a different, is using planes and like America is using helicopters and someone else has invented a different way method of transport. Like everything's different. And what our job is at Squid is just to take all of that complexity and try and like abstract it all the way back into one click for the user. So no matter what you're doing, the user has no idea that you've gone to a new chain even. And that's the, the end goal we want to get to. You're just on a, on a website, just like you would be on web two. And you select the product you want to buy, whether it's, you know, financial product or NFT or maybe crypto, you can pay for just, you know, your clothes one day and they shouldn't have to think about any of the technology underneath. And if they go to a new country, they should be able to read Chinese. That kind of, that's that. Yeah. I love that. And ultimately, I think we're entering a world where when we have these AR, VR glasses, maybe we'll be able to have auto translation when we arrive in a new country and we can read in that language or read in those characters. So that's a really cool metaphor, actually. I really appreciate that. So you started building Squid, I'm just going to guess, in late 2021, and you guys launched this year. So can you share just some basic stats on how long you've been building Squid and maybe uh, give yourself a little moment to show the transaction volume you guys have been able to accommodate? We started building Squid proper in May 22. And then I think we took about eight months to launch, launched in end of January this year. And it's been, the chart is amazing. It's like, Currently, it's still fairly exponential looking. It's, you know, started very small. We're getting like 50 transactions a day for about a month or so. I think actually as of yesterday, $420 million of volume. We're doing, I think, three or $4 million a day at the moment with cross-chain volume generally. Are you guys like doing any major marketing pushes or are you collaborating specifically with core teams on these different ecosystems. You guys are doubling down on like EVM chains and Cosmos ecosystem right now. So maybe your relationships are kind of tight with those communities. What does that sort of outreach look like? 
We're partnering with, whenever we enter a new ecosystem, we try to partner with as many as we can and bring bring users from everywhere else that we support into that ecosystem. And so we focused on, we've got, I think, 14 EVM chains, which is Ethereum in most of its rollups. We have, you know, Arbitrum, Polygon, Polkadot, we've got Moonbeam expanding that as well. And then we just launched the, the Cosmos. And the Cosmos is a 60 other chains, I think, that we just added support for, something like that. And very like multi-chain centric ecosystem. So that was, you know, I'm good friends with a lot of people in that ecosystem. But the plan is to, you know, continue expanding. We've got Bitcoin coming very soon. Super excited about this. Like native Bitcoin to native Ethereum or anything else. Similarly, you'll be able to just like send a Bitcoin transaction and pay for an NFT on Arbitrum, something like that. Yeah, I'm super excited for it. We'll be adding all of the more edge chains, the classic ones like Dogecoin and Litecoin and whatnot as well. But generally, like it's been really exciting just partnering with all the DEXs on all of these chains because the way Squid works, we don't hold any of our own liquidity. We just connect all of the different sources of liquidity across crypto. So we've partnered with, I don't know if it's 100 now, but it's a lot of DEXs where we go to them and we're like, we can route all this cross-chain volume through your DEX. And you know it's a win-win for us because we get access to that liquidity. They get more volume from our users who are trying to get into their chain from elsewhere. So yeah, that's a really good one. Wallets are a great example. We went live with MetaMask and Trust Wallet as well. Two amazing teams, like really great wallets. And we're really excited to now be expanding to NFTs. So being able to buy an NFT with any token on any chain. I think we're getting close to that that end state, which I was trying to talk about where you don't know what chain you're on or that application is on. You just go to the site and click buy and you can select from any of the tokens in your wallet, whether they're on Solana or Ethereum or Cosmos, and in one click buy the NFT. So excited to be working with like creators and NFT projects. Yeah, it kind of comes full circle to the kind of creative elements that you drew inspiration from earlier in your career and still to to this day. There's a lot in there that you said that I want to unpack. So you mentioned that native L1 to L1, Bitcoin to Ethereum, for example. Are you guys like leveraging ThorChain on the back end or is there some sort of new kind of team you're going to be working with? We'll be working with ThorChain. We have a really close partnership though with a, a project called Chainflip. They're built on Substrate out of the Polkadot ecosystem and they have similar functionality to ThorChain, but different technicals underneath. They're a really cool project and they'll be supporting Bitcoin. That'll be the first time we integrate. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I've been following ThorChain for years and it was a really difficult problem to solve, like L1 to L1, Bitcoin to Ethereum. So I guess now that you're working with CoinFlip, is are we at an inflection point where the base kind of technology has been provided for these like L1 to L1, I guess for better terms, atomic swaps are possible because for a while there, it just seemed like it was the one team that was working on it, but you guys are now working with CoinFlip. Are there other competitors to ThorChain and CoinFlip that are starting to arise now? Are we at that point in cross-chain communication? No, I don't think it's commoditized yet. I've been thinking about this a lot actually, because in a sense, we're an aggregator. You can think of Squid as, you know, we aggregate DEXs, we aggregate liquidity, and there's a few cross-chain DEXs popping up, but Bitcoin is a really hard one to do. So I think Chainflip and ThorChain are going to probably still be the, the main ones for a while. I think the reason is that it's just so much more complex to, you can't go on in the same way that Uniswap 
is forkable. We've had thousands of Uniswap forks at this point. Anyone and just a 13-year-old can go and deploy Uniswap now and like start a project. But doing cross-chain swaps between Bitcoin and you know, Ethereum is not ever going to be easy, I think. And it's not going to be copy-paste. So yeah, it's an interesting space. I don't know how... I'm not sure if we'll see like a huge, you know, end state with thousands of different cross-chain decks as it may just be a few because there's no need for thousands of them. That's quite hard to do. That's really interesting. And uh, apologies to the chain flip team. I think I just called you guys coin flip. Didn't mean to. First time I've ever heard of you. So excuse me. Um, and then another thing that you were talking about earlier is you're providing this router for various different DEXs on multiple chains. And I haven't quite seen this in the research I've done, there's no squid token or anything like that. You guys are just providing an actual service, correct? <laughs> yeah, providing just services, no, no Ponzi yet. <laughs> <laughs> We've just been focused like entirely on the product for now. Yeah, we haven't decided whether we'll have a, a token. We haven't confirmed anything or just focusing on getting a good user experience. It's been really nice, to be honest, to focus on the technology and We'll see where we go. I think a token could be interesting for Squid. There's different ways of having, you know, utility before a token in like a, a cross-chain world. It's like a pretty interesting design space, but early days, I think. I've been doing the Smart Economy pod for a little over a year now, and we are protocol agnostic. So I've had the opportunity to chat with a bunch of awesome guests. Also, by the way, you're episode number 50, which is really cool. Super nice milestone. But I don't know if it's just like the doldrums of the bear market or the types of conversations I've been having, but I've been kind of having this come to Jesus moment where I'm realizing a lot of tokens, and I've been in this space for six years, so this is kind of like hard to say out loud. It feels like a lot of tokens are indeed just, we say tongue-in-cheek, Ponzi-nomics, but like where does the actual value accrue to these things? Because the conversations I'm having with these large-scale businesses that are rubbing elbows with like financial institutions and governments is these open-source, decentralized peer-to-peer networks remove intermediaries. They get rid of third parties. So from what I've been seeing is it's the business that is able to save on costs. But I haven't really been able to identify how that value abstracts to the actual token on that network. And so with Squid, it sounds like, you know, if you have this cross-chain, multi-chain token that lives on different networks, and a lot of people are indeed using this routing service, that then maybe you can have like an actual objective, factual, here's a reason why this token costs X. I think that like what you're working on could potentially end up in that realm. But maybe I'm just jaded after six years and seeing every project fail twice over that maybe I'm just like, it's the technology that's valuable, not the token. So I, <laughs> I oscillate between these tokens are just memes and this, and I'm like all about the technology. But I think Squid is in a really lucky position because we do have a lot of users and we're providing a fairly difficult service to provide. So there's, there is a business that I like the same, you can't fork Squid. It's, it's very hard to do. So we have a business model where we can have a token as part of that you know, business model or part of at least the mechanism of the thing. And I'm interested too, let's see how the, the next phase of tokens sort of turns out. Yeah, so something that's really, I'm trying to wrap my head around is Squid and a DEX aggregator, is it a bridge? Is it a hybrid? Is it bigger than just those two concepts? 
I think it is a bit bigger. Yeah, it is a DEX aggregator. We have the same functionality as what One Inch has, for example. But we also, you know, will be using One Inch, and we use KyberSwap. We're partnered closely partnered with our aggregator. But I think of us more like Visa. Like Visa is a system for letting you pay in a lot of different places and in the cheapest way possible. And you know, maybe Visa is big enough now that they do have their own liquidity. But as far as you know, for this metaphor at least, they outsource the swapping of currencies if you're going from euros to US dollars. So think of us as a, a little bit like that. We've got the DAX aggregator there, but there's a lot of how we connect all of this liquidity up into really simple user experiences. And how can a shop owner, in Visa's case, get there? How can they can install payments into their application? That's just buying, you know, the physical thing, or they now install an app. But with Squid, we have these React components, these widgets, our API and SDK, which a developer can install to to access all of this liquidity or these nice payment flows. So I think that's the closest of, of where we are is Stripe and Visa. Yeah. And so you guys do have like a super approachable widget. Like when I look at it for both V1 and V2, I get it. Choose a chain, choose a token, swap. What are sort of the key value adds that Squid offers for things like security, speed, reliability? And maybe this is also a nice opportunity to segue into Boost. And you can share a little bit about that. I'll start with security then go into speed. So security has been one of our most, it's part of why we've been so successful, I think, because we building and coming out of this world where there's, there were, I think, two and a half billion dollars of bridge hacks, which is just insane, totally insane. And everyone is rightfully like really scared of cross-chain and partnering with a cross-chain provider. But that's where all that, my interest in consensus and how we've ended up partnering with Axelar like really paid off is because Axelar was by far the most secure cross-chain provider. I think at this point they've had over 60 audits, which is so many more than everyone else. Um, got an entire blockchain verifying messages between when they go across chain and got a lot of really interesting things like rate limiting, where if there's a hack on one chain, we can isolate the damage that that blows out to all the other chains we're connected to because we have really good system of a hub and spoke system of managing rate limits. So you can isolate one spoke and the amount that flows through that into all the other chains. And we saw this play out a few months ago when multi-chain got hacked. Multi-chain is a, a bridge provider and you know their security model was always unknown, which is a, a really bad sign. It turned out the CEO owned all the keys, I think. <laughs> so someone got his password. I think it must have been, I don't know if it was the Chinese government or someone got his keys and then multi-chain shut down. When multi-chain stopped, a lot of our competitors who have these point-to-point -point systems had to also shut down because they couldn't contain the damage from these multi-chain tokens that were suddenly at, at risk or you could get infinite amounts of them for free. So I think it's a really nice decentralization narrative where it's hard to tell a lot of the time, but then like something goes wrong and then all of the centralized solutions just sort of drop away and the decentralized one keeps going. So we've had a good experience because of that. Squid also, because of the way we're built, you go from a native token on one chain, native token on another chain. So like ETH to native USDC instead of say ETH to wrapped bridge version of ETH on another chain. Because we can do that with the swaps that we do, it means that user doesn't have to risk 
holding any breached assets. It's just while the transfer is happening that they're at risk, which is a good time to go into speed because if you're at risk during the transfer, it would going from Arbitrum to Ethereum, it would be 20 minutes or going from Polygon, it would be six minutes. Still not very long. It's unlikely that a bridge is going to get hacked during that time, like very unlikely, but we've got this system called Boost, which we're really proud of, where we reduce the transaction time down to 20 seconds. This works by a provider on the destination chain who gives you funds as soon as they see that you've requested your bridge transaction, and then they register that against a contract. And when the bridge comes through 20 minutes later, they get paid back instead of you getting paid twice. So the only risk the user has is if the boost provider just doesn't want to fulfill the transaction. And so the worst case is it takes 20 minutes for it to come across. The user's never at risk of losing funds because of this system. They're just at risk of waiting the normal time. But what it means is that we've gotten our transaction times in any chain now down to like, it's 10 seconds most of the time, up to 20, down to we've gotten below one second and between chains. And yeah, that was super important for us because of the user experience. If you buy an NFT, you really don't know if you've won the NFT or bought it until it's in your wallet. Same if you do a swap. Even if you read all about our security model and understand that how secure everything is, you still want to see the money in your wallet. Like no one, even in, you know, TradFi, I'm like, I don't know if I've lost my money until in transfer wise, the, the wise transaction is completed. So getting that transaction timed out was super important. Even with like an ACH or anytime I'm doing a cross-chain transfer, those moments that I'm waiting is a source of stress, especially like the higher in value that the, the transfer is. So you mentioned a boost provider. So are these individuals that opt to provide their liquidity so that this transaction can essentially act as like a credit or if I'm understanding correctly, from one chain to the next. So who are these boost providers? Do they, do you solicit them? Do they come to Squid? What sort of incentives do they receive for being a provider? Yeah, so they, it is exactly that. It's a loan. It's a loan collateralized by a cross-chain transaction. It's very simple. So there's a road to being able to make this decentralized, the boost providers. But we currently just have one provider and that's, you know, the Axla team are running it because of the security model, whether the user's never at risk of losing funds, it's just, if the provider disappears, then we need to find another provider. Then we've decided that it's, it's not worth putting effort into making, opening up to other providers. And the other thing is, is that we're currently not charging anything and Axla isn't. So it's the best for everyone at the moment. We have a really good product, you know, Axla are providing infrastructure and getting users as well. And that the user gets free 20 second transactions basically. And the way it's built is very easy for us to, we could switch from Axla to another provider. It's not locked in in that way. So you brought up kind of uh, an elephant in the room when it comes to companies and projects. How do you guys fund yourselves? What's your source of revenue? Are you taking fees from each chain when you're doing a swap? Did you guys do a fundraise? Like, how are you guys making sure that you have food on the table and a roof over your head? Or maybe a, giving a friend some spare money so you can sleep on their couch. How are you able to keep the lights on? Yeah, we're all still on couches. That's how we do it. We raised, we raised money. So we raised from some VCs, which in, I think it was mid last year. It was all sort of you know, self-funded, just all hacking for a while. And then 
very lucky to raise after the terror collapse, even in the depths of, and I think it was after the FTX collapse as well. So great time. Well done. Thanks. But yeah, in terms of revenue, we don't charge anything yet. So Squid is free to use and we're just living off funding. But we have a roadmap to funding or to revenue, and that's through revenue sharing agreements that we have. So we have hundreds of partners at this point, and it's actually a really common problem in crypto that no one knows how to charge their users or like how to make any money. And the movement of money around is a really good place to take a small fee, be doing a swap or doing you know, transfer and a bridge, all these things that we do. So we're providing, providing this as a service for others. And then they've actually asked, if, can they charge a fee as part of this service? So we built in whenever they charge a fee through Squid, we have the infrastructure to do that. And then we take a cut of what they have. So I think it's a similar model really to the Stripes and Visas of the world as well. When a merchant takes a payment, then Visa or Stripe gets a small percentage of what happens, so of what the shop gets. So yeah, that's currently what we're doing. Cool. Um, it's kind of obvious why you guys chose to build on Ethereum and EVMs. And yeah, there we go. It's kind of fun watching the time lapse of your room get darker. So it's kind of obvious why you guys chose Cosmos and EVM chains because there's just 60 plus app chains in the Cosmos ecosystem. Like Ethereum is the OG and all these L2s and rollups are building on top of it. But ultimately, like if we do subscribe to this multi-chain thesis, there's going to be a future where there's dozens of chains. Many of them might not even be EVM or IBC compatible. How do you guys examine which blockchain ecosystems to support next? Are you even at that point right now? Because you still have, you have a robust kind of selection between just those two sort of interoperability protocols and virtual machine protocols. So what's kind of like your checklist or the criteria that you and your team evaluate when looking at other ecosystems to integrate support for? Yeah, we really, we want to support everyone. And that's the goal for sure. Taking a step back, Axelar is our main provider for all the cross-chain functionality that we have. And the model that we've taken is we have Axelar's network and that's all the chains they can support. And as that grows, we'll fill that network. Every chain that Axelar adds, we're there on day one. That roadmap will, I think, encompass most blockchains eventually. Because of the way Axelar's built, they're currently you know, an IBC native chain, but they'll be able to connect up to, for example, Polkadot.xem is something we're looking at as well. So all of the Polkadot parachains will be able to connect to. And then ZK Bridge is a really exciting field, which has been some nice you know, new tech coming out there. You can connect an, a ZK Bridge up to Axelar as well. They're moving to a permissionless model so that can scale extremely quickly. And that's called Axelar V2. And that will be, we don't have a hard date for that, but it's, I've already seen demos of it. It's working. So it'll be soon, hopefully. And then on the squid side, though, we can integrate protocols in the edges. So we integrate an IBC, can integrate XCM, for example, CCTP, which is Circle's transfer protocol we're integrating. So everywhere Circle supports, we'll be able to get your very high value USDC transfers. Actually, most of the team, you know, we prefer the decentralized infrastructure. So we have, we want to make sure we also have Axelar there because if Circle goes down, we don't want our service to go down as well. But it's for transferring USDC, there's nothing better. It's one-to-one, no matter if you're a hundred million dollars or, you know, 50 cents. So we're integrating that. And then 
In terms of prioritization, though, it goes back to that question about who are we building for? And I think that's where the Axel team are really good. They like, they've kept us honest in terms of like, when you look at a new ecosystem, are there actually users there and are there application developers building there? And you just need to, like, we do a lot of research talking to all the teams in, in a new ecosystem to see if they're going to be successful or what we think of the community there. And we've generally just taken the, if an ecosystem has 50 projects building on it, it'll be in prioritized server one, which has 10 projects building. That's really interesting that you bring that up. You mentioned projects for like an ecosystems activity. What is like on-chain activity? What is the weight of that? So let's say an ecosystem's building 50 projects right now, but they're all in beta or alpha or maybe not even there. And on-chain activity is like less than 10K transactions a day. Does that kind of write off the ecosystem for you? Or what is the weight that on-chain activity has today versus the future it might have with all these projects building on that network? It's a great question. Definitely like the layer below that is within each project, how much volume, how many transactions per day, how many users are they going to have? And then we measure, you know, all of them by some kind of prediction of that or whatever it's already happening. And it's really hard to predict, of course, because it's like trying to chat time the market who's going to be the most successful ecosystem. It's like, it's impossible, but we've got a lot of great investors and friends in the space. So we just try to try the best we can. Something that kind of really rings true for me when uh, I was looking into Squid is that, and like, I love surfing different blockchains. I love testing out new technologies. I love seeing how the wallets work. I love seeing how fast transactions are, if it's a pain in the ass or not. Something that's really cool about Squid is that you guys are making it possible for users to transact on different chains without necessarily acquiring that token to pay for gas fees. So can you talk a little bit more about how Squid is preemptively like purchasing gas or paying for users' cross-chain gas fees natively so that like me as the end user, I don't have to worry about that? That's a really, really cool UX issue that we were solving, I think, is to you finally get your USCC across to Avalanche, but you don't have any AVAX. So you have to go back and you have to work out how do I bridge AVAX? How do I buy AVAX on Ethereum, then bridge it? Or do I have to, you know, there's often very arcane ways of getting gas. And what we do currently is you select a button on the swap or bridge or purchase widget. And we swap some of the bridged amount to gas. And it's usually like a dollar or two. And the rest goes into your swap or your purchase. So it's all done by decentralized means. You get gas when you arrive. You don't have to think about it. I think that's like, that's as good as it's like industry best at the moment. But what we're moving to and is probably a gasless world where there'll be, instead of needing gas in every chain through a service like Squid, you'll be able to execute transactions on any chain without gas. And that's limited to the chains which can support this. Like you probably couldn't do it on Bitcoin very easily without going centralized, but, or maybe you can, I haven't looked at it, but on the EDM chains, we've got that already, actually we're building it. And I think that's a much better user experience. You never have to think about it. You just always submit. That's awesome. It's a really cool feature. It's an afterthought almost every time when moving from chain to chain and it becomes a new source of frustration, especially if I maxed out my transfer and then I need to figure out like another source of assets to pay for gas. And try to collect all the pain, the really painful points. I had one actually in Turkey 
I am in Turkey for a conference and I had a moment in the taxi where I didn't have any reception and I didn't know how much Turkish lira were compared to USD. So I didn't know if the meter was going up in like, I mean, I trusted the meter, but I just thought that you want to be able to be absolutely sure that like your payment is just what you think. So I think that's something that crypto could help with. Good to hear that gas one is a real pain point for you too. So kind of uh, wrapping up, I want to look towards next steps. You have mentioned cross-chain NFT purchases, like how cool I can pay for an NFT that lives on Avalanche with Ethereum or Matic or something else like that. So that's really interesting. And you also mentioned wallets as well. What are some other things that are on your roadmap that you guys are working on that maybe we'll see uh, in the next like couple months what's something to kind of like tease the listeners the cross-chain nfts are something we're super excited about it may not be a source of volume because nfts aren't going crazy right now but just that breakout user experience and we can see that go through to, to gamefi for example and we're speaking with a, a bunch of game sdks and games uh game developers who you know the main thing they need from the blockchain is a user coming onto that app, buying an item, and then maybe like selling the item and getting their money out. And if the game is on this blockchain, which this a centralized exchange doesn't support, or if an on-ramp doesn't support, then it's very difficult for them to get users to onboard because they get to the fiat on-ramp and then they you know onboard and then they have to work out how to get gas and like move across some chains. So we'll bring that all down into one click as well, where you'll be able to binding game item using any token or using fiat and that's a nice like real use case hopefully we've got a nice feature where you'll be able to unstake and get any token so squid previously supported just onboarding into a staking app you could if you had usdc you could get eth on arbitrum and then stake it into a lending protocol but you couldn't do it the other way so that like user experience there was a bit of like disconnect and we've just enabled it so you can unstake and then cross-chain swap we've got the full suite of flows gasless that's going to be coming very soon super excited about that bitcoin support i mean that's the goal for 2023 it's just like native bitcoin to anything was i'm super excited by love it a lot of alpha there as you were talking about gamefi assets i can't believe that i can't remember this or not but does squid offer fiat on-ramp off-ramp directly through the widget or through the website that's available right now? Not through the website or the widget, but we went implementing it. We've partnered with a project called Cardo, and they're actually out of the Cosmos ecosystem, really cool team. They support EVM as well, though, and what they do is they support fiat unramping into one chain, and then they use Squid to get out to every token that we support. So they can like at least support. As we add a chain, they get it for free. We can do payments for like fiat into a game, for example, We'll be adding them into the front end as well. It's, Fiat's the biggest chain goal, right? We, I mean, everybody uses it every day, no matter how much of a Ponzi it seems like it really is. <laughs> the ultimate Ponzi, yeah, the US. I want to ask one last kind of like big looking back question. You've been building Squid now since May 2022, year and a half. Um, looking back and the time that you've spent with Axelar and with your co-founders and your team and just building, what has been kind of like 
the biggest lesson learned or experience that you've taken away from building this simple one-click user experience for cross-chain transactions? And how has that shaped kind of your perspective looking forward? I think the biggest thing I've learned is this difference between like thinking and doing. And over the last few years, just learning to really zero in on like what's important right now. Crypto moves so fast and it's really hard to try and predict the future. And it's really fun to do that. Investors love to like build these huge theses and like understand these crazy systems. But the XR team have been really good at teaching me like how to just what do users really need like right now and just build that. And it means you've got to like keep your eye on the ball like and change pretty fast. But not getting caught up in these crazy plans, just like keep shipping, like just look at the current state of the world and just try to fit into it. I love that. So if people want to keep up to date with you or they want to keep up to date with Squid or maybe even you, Squid, what are the best avenues that we can send people to you or to your project? Yeah, from Twitter is great. So uh, Squid is Squid, uh, Squid Router, one word. And I'm ECDSAFU, ECDSAFU. On Twitter and then Discord, jump in our Discord. We're all there, happy to chat. Yeah, reach out to me on Telegram if you want to. And then if you're a developer, we just reach out and we'll we'll help. But you can check out our docs as well, which is docs.squidrouter.com. Fig, thanks for taking the time out of uh, your busy and probably pretty fun schedule in Turkey right now. You're there for a conference. So it was an honor to chat with you. I really enjoyed the hour we just spent. And I hope more and more users find their way to Squid because the the one-click cross-chain solution you guys are providing is really something that is going to take our industry forward, not just for users, but for everybody who wants to get interested into the crypto space in general. So I love the work you guys are doing. I appreciate the time you spent and would love to have a, a catch-up call sometime down the road. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks so much for having me on, Tell. It's been really nice to chat. Cheers. Well... What did you think of that conversation? I really enjoyed learning more about Fig's passion for systems and the creative outlet that his mind offers and hearing more about what drives him to build the Squid protocol. It was also really cool to hear more about the discovery process that the team went through when they were looking for their cross-chain partner and how they ultimately landed with Axelar. And it was really interesting to learn more about the gasless feature that the team will be releasing in a future release of Squid, which will allow users to send funds from one chain to the next without having to purchase that native asset in order to pay for gas on that network. With that said, I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast. If you're a fan of the show, don't hesitate to follow our socials and to give us a thumbs up on YouTube or other social media channels and outlets and on your favorite podcasting stations. And if you're a NEO token holder, then please consider voting for NEO News Today as your council representative. We've proudly been serving the NEO ecosystem since 2017 and use a portion of those rewards to invest in producing the Smart Economy podcast. So with all that said, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this episode and we look forward to catching you next time.